Yo, what's up? Welcome back to the Business Kids Podcast. We talk to real people, not their job titles. Let's get straight to business. Today, we're joined by Sean Muxon, a Shulik TA, a summer law student, a man who's played baseball in Havana and recently got an MBA in his PJs. Uh, I'm a man who speaks French, and I'm a man of many talents. Uh, Sean Muxon, how are you? Bonjour, monsieur. Comment ça va aujourd'hui? Oh, gosh. <laughs> ça va bien, merci. <laughs> no, 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 cut it. So again, I'll see. Um, no, I'm great, thank you. If, if I was doing any better, Michael Phelps would ask me for swimming lessons. So, oh, hey! Uh, what, what episode is this podcast on? This, uh, this is episode 212, actually. You filmed 212 <laughs> episodes of this podcast? No, I think it's like episode 8. Yeah, <laughs> eight, eight, eight podcasts. Well, you know what? Yes. I'm, happy, I'm happy to be on the eighth episode of this podcast. And I, well, I, I can check. Going. I can check right now. <laughs> I'll make sure we're we're right here. Hold on, just a minute. Yes, I think. What's your What's your viewership? How How popular are you so far? Uh, about two million per episode. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Two million per episode. I better be getting some royalties out of this. <laughs> you need to talk well, to my agent about before that. I continue this interview. <laughs> oh, you're episode ten. Perfect. Episode ten. Oh. Big one oh. Number 10, the old center fielder for the Blue Jays, Vernon Wells, my guy, who, fun fact, <laughs> I sat next to on a, on a tractor trailer once. Oh, that my, that's my claim to fame, is I sat next to Vernon Wells on a tractor trailer. No, we're going to need an explanation for that. What? Yeah, I was, just, I was a little kid. He was like, when he played for the Jays in the early 2000s, I think it was like Chutley's Apple Farm or something in uh, Ontario. I think he was living, he was probably living in like Oakville or something with his family when he played for the Jays. And I guess like one weekend we all just went out to the apple farm and I sat right next to him and I recognized him like I knew who it was but I just like I didn't say anything to him I got off the cart and I was like later man I was like five years old <laughs> is that the most famous person you've met um no I, I've met do you know the band the strokes the rock band I've heard of them. yeah I've heard of them okay so they're a very famous rock band like they started early 2000s in New York City but I've met the the lead guitar player and they're like if you just Google them, they've sold millions of records. They have like a new one out this this summer. This is like a plug. I don't make any royalties off this, but it's it's produced by the same. He's like a very renowned producer out of LA. He's produced mm -hmm. like Kanye records, Jay Z records, Kendrick Lamar records, a lot of hip hop records. But he's also gone into like rock music, and this was the first one he's produced for the Strokes. So it, was, it got pretty good um, reviews. Speaking of music. Are my eyes deceiving me, or is the shelf in the back full of records? No, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> Most of them are my father's, but about two units worth of that beautiful Ikea, Ikea furniture is, uh, is my own music collection. I have about like 55, maybe 60 vinyl records. Wow. So what are some of the bands that, like, we could, if we were to see there, what were some of the bands that we would be able to listen to based on those? That's a, it's a range. Do people watch this on video? Do you put it on YouTube? Yeah, we're trying to get both a video component as well as a okay, great. Uh, audio component. I'll just pull off, like, I've got a bunch of random stuff. <laughs> I'm a little bit older than you guys, so you guys might not recognize all this. But um, Oh, I was talking about the strokes, so I'll pull strokes. <laughs> so yeah, that's a classic. That's the second strokes one right there. Room on Fire. Excellent record. Highly recommend. <laughs> All right. Uh, LCD sound system. 
If you know this one, it's like dance, a lot of dance music, a lot of uh, computer synths, stuff like that. Very like disco style. And then I like the, have a diverse range. So this is Russian opera, Tchaikovsky. Oh my God. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot range. It depends on the mood I'm in, but I got, yeah, there's probably about 200 plus records there. So I saw the photo and I thought, I'm not going to say I thought it was him because I'm not that sophisticated, but I, I it looked older. <laughs> you're, you're not, you're not alone in that category. Neither am I. Uh, <laughs> I just, that's the only one I have. I got it cheap at some random record store uh, downtown probably. So, and I like. Oh, yeah, uh, but now you can put it on your, uh, your coffee table and say you listen to him. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now that we're talking about music and, and uh, things like that, I know that uh, based on our research, we know that you actually play guitar. Uh, you're an avid guitar player. Um, so I just wanted to kind of ask you more about that. Is there any specific reason when you got into it or was this just something that interests you from a young age? So yeah, I, I actually don't play anymore, full disclosure. My, my, mm -hmm. I have a twin sister. She's probably better at playing it than I am. I did when I was a kid. My parents tried to get me into it, but I, I played various instruments, just um, electric guitar, mostly uh, jazz trombone. I played tuba for one year just because I was joking around with my buddies. Like, yeah, it would be a funny instrument to play is the tuba. tuba. <laughs> so, like, I played the tuba one year. <laughs> but mostly, like, I was actually better at trombone, a jazz trombone, than I was at guitar. I was very intro beginner guitar. Like, that just taught me how to read sheet music, basically. Mm -hmm. And I think that I don't think, um, like, neurologically, I have the, the musical brain. I've, I've read studies that if you have, like, a parent who's, like, an artist or a musician who's extremely creative, it's actually... The, the one side of their brain is more dominant than the other. Like it's mm -hmm. the creative side is more dominant than the analytical side. And mm -hmm. they basically, they, they don't have as much structure, but they're able to um, contribute in significant ways. Like obviously we just read, saw those records, right? So. Right. They're the ones that kind of display themselves to the world. Yeah, and I, I love, love going, going to live concerts. I think it's one of the best things you can do in terms of just getting out and enjoying yourself. I highly recommend it regardless of the type of music you're into to go see the type you're into. I've heard it increases your life expectancy if you go see live music. Obviously, you can't do it right now, but then we'll, uh, we'll enjoy live music together again. So anyway. How many live concerts have you been to? Oh, many. See, I was saying, I don't know how old you, you gentlemen are, but I'm... Uh, I'm turning 26 this year, so I'm born in 94, and uh, I started going to concerts when I was probably 18 with my buddies. We'd go to the music festivals in Montreal, and, and those festivals lasted like three days. You saw dozens yeah, and dozens yeah. of bands. I was going to go this summer, but unfortunately, it, it, it didn't happen, but it's all good. It's all good. Life is still, life is still good. What are some of the most like, memorable concerts that you've ever yeah. been to? What's the favorite? Last summer, I, I saw The Strokes in Chicago for the first time. And it was funny because I tried seeing them twice last summer. It was the first time they toured in a long, long time. So the first time I, I went to Manhattan, it was like late June, early July. And it, the festival's called Governor's Ball. Just for the one like day, like we basically just like rented one night at the Hilton, like midtown, and went to the concert. Like walked around Wall Street, like it was fine in the afternoon. Anyway... We trek over on the subway all the way to uh, Randall's Island, which is where it's held, like right in the Hudson, right in the Hudson River. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, like we basically go, they thought we were artists for some reason. <laughs> so we're walking backstage, like behind the stage at Governor's Ball, 
we're literally beside the stage, like in like the VIP, you see the strokes, like at the side, we went out to the front and where the crowd was just to see the teleprompter. And it said, everyone, please go home, severe weather warning. And three minutes later, just torrential rain. <laughs> we just like an hour and a half in torrential rain. It, it must've been like, I thought I was gonna get trench foot. I was standing in two feet of water. We get back <laughs> to Manhattan, like the island of Manhattan, and it's totally dry. So you just like walk on the subway and we look like sewer rats, like literally New York sewer rats, <laughs> just like drenched. So that was my experience in New York and I was just devastated because I love this band. I've, I know I listened to them since I was like a kid in elementary school, like since the early 2000s when they first came out, when they were like, when I was six years old, I, I loved this band. But then finally in Chicago, I saw them and it was like unbelievable. Unfortunately, I had to go by myself. My, uh, my girlfriend didn't get the vacation days off work, but um, mm. I finally saw them and it just brought like a tear to my eye. I was so happy. Yeah. And now, yeah, like, after all especially those years. now because of the COVID and everything that you can't see, like they were supposed to play the summer and now you can't see them. So I'm just like so happy I got that in. It's off, the bucket, it's off the bucket list. So to speak. The Manhattan thing was the same summer, last summer? Exact same summer, exactly, Sebastian. I was literally like five weeks apart. I got a cheap <laughs> ticket right last minute to see them in Lollapalooza in Chicago and highly recommend Chicago. Beautiful city. It's truly like a beautiful place and a lot of history in terms of music, jazz music, and a lot of great, obviously, sports, like legends in Chicago mm -hmm. and music, like music history. So it's, it's, it's a little bit sad. And I think that if you live on the south side, the further stop south, your life expectancy is about 12 years less than if you were to grow up on the, the north, furthest north track. And it's, it's, it's unfortunate. It's, it happens a lot in major urban centers in the, in the U.S., and I, it's like a like it's the result of various issues like probably don't want to get them this is a business podcast but it's like very mm -hmm. you know, historic political socioeconomic social like a lot of just different um like demographic factors that need to be considered like it's just like a very long list of things that result in like urban economics and demography and how people shift within countries like i don't know if you knew this but montreal used to be the most populous city in in Canada before Toronto, it was Montreal. And before Montreal, it was Niagara. Like Niagara-on-the-Lake was the first capital in, in Canada at least. But um, yeah, it wasn't until, you know, Pearson started getting a bunch of international flights in really that Toronto became the major hub. And I think at the pace now, we're especially given what's going on in the US, we're on pace to surpass Chicago as third most populous city in North America. Oh, wow. Yeah, so basically, you're talking about this is a business podcast, which, yes and no, yes. in the sense yeah. that, like, basically, we're, you know, we're talking to you about your career, school, things like that. But we also want to talk about, like, you as a person and things awesome. that interest you. And with everything else, you have absolute free reign. Yeah. We are here to talk about anything and everything. Oh yeah, well I I can't I can't expand you know intelligently any more than that. I haven't researched the issue as much, and I don't I don't live there, so I don't think I can speak on on their behalf. I probably have more things like more closer to home. Like I have thoughts on be it like the federal budget in Canada or be it like various provincial political issues. I think it's important to stay on top and be informed as a citizen. Read the read the news. Try not to make the news filtered to your specific political view. Try to get you know, objective, objective reporting to the extent possible. And I think it might be a little bit easier here than the US where you have a very, you know, polarized in terms of like, you see, you fall on the Fox CNN divide and it's tough to find like a reputable neutral ground. Yeah. Um, 
here I think there is a little bit more options on the media side and to the extent that you're able to expose yourself to, to journalists or to writers that don't share views that align with yours, I think that you would be foolish not to, to listen to them and foolish not to, to read and hear what they have to say because you're only strengthening your own position by understanding what other people are saying or what other people's position is on the same matter or the same subject. So never, I, I, I find too often, and again, this is just probably publicized by the media, um, given the fact that like people are always online and we're an extension of our phones now, but yeah. the extent that people get like offended or they have a, you know, an issue with the way someone's, you know, speaking or trying to articulate themselves. Like we're all trying to understand each other. It's the most difficult thing to do as a person is communicate with other people, be it verbally, orally, and write in written form. You'll find this like at the workplace, for instance, the number one skill by far is communication more than any, anything. Like an, a willingness to learn and communication skills are by far, like they're going to get you a long way in, in life. So to the extent that you know you can communicate with others, you can be transparent in you know your thought process and trying to articulate yourself, and let others be transparent in articulating their position to you. I think that that's a, a very valid you know principle to to live by. You brought up okay. You brought up you know I think definitely here in Canada we have way less biased reporting in general, or at least less extremely divisive um, politics as it is in the states. Uh, and you're talking about informing yourself and everything. I'll pose the question to you, I guess, you know, for debate. What do you say to someone who says, you know, I don't like to get political or I just don't like to get involved in politics in the terms to kind of separate and distance themselves from that? I mean, that's, that's their prerogative. I'm like definitely a more libertarian in the sense that you can do what you want so long as it doesn't interfere with anybody else's ability to do what they want, obviously, like not like physically or preventing them physically or anything like that, but following by the rules of society, if you don't want to engage in politics or you're apolitical, as, as you mentioned, by all means, don't vote. Like that's all the power to you. But when it comes time to complaining what elected officials are doing, like you don't have the right to complain if you don't vote <laughs> or if you're not informed or even if you do vote, right? Like there's people that there's a lot of it's like uninformed citizenry voting and that's an issue too. Like you can, you obviously need to be aware of the elected officials, like platforms and campaigns, but to the extent that, to the extent that you're not aware, people don't have time. People are busy. They have kids, they got family, they got work, job, right? It's tough to keep on track of all the issues. And it's, I, I don't blame anybody at all for not engaging in the political system. Like, but again, when it comes to complaining about the policies or the, um, the laws that are passed, as, I'm, as you know, there's, not that many great democracies in the world. And to the extent that Canada has one of them, I think we're very privileged to, to live in this country. And I think that um, like voting, it is an important process. Yeah, that's true. I think now the other reason I'd give as a justification to it is like, you know, with all, like you were saying, we're all glued to our cell phones. We all have so much information being thrown at us at any given point from either side or any side for that matter. It's so overwhelming sometimes to hear like, oh, this side said this, this side said that. And it's bad news, bad news, good news, good news, bad news. I think people kind of shut down after a second with that. I, I totally agree with you. And I don't think that to be engaged, I don't think you need to just be listening to CNN 24-7 or be watching the news cycle 24-7 because all the news is 
is politics, crime, and drama. It's three things, literally. Facebook, yeah. when they, and they're in Facebook's algorithm, those are the only search terms. Politics, crime, drama, that's their newsfeed. But I'm not sure, you can see it in the Wired magazine, but um, yeah, to the, to the extent that you can be informed in a lot of other ways. I mean, if you listen to podcasts like weekly, you're, there's a lot of ways to, to um, digest, you know, current events and digest media that is not specifically related to like newspapers or publications um, like online or what have you. Like if you listen to a podcast, that's an excellent way to learn and become like an informed citizen as well. And I think it's much more, I think it's much more accessible too, because it's much more difficult to, to read than it is to, to listen. And I, mm-hmm. people don't have a lot of time to sit and read, but we do have time when we're on the subway or we have found time doing laundry or on transit to listen to a podcast and get smarter that way. So I'm a, I'm a very uh, firm believer that I, it's, a, it's a great medium of communication. And I think that we're going to continue to expand our, our knowledge by, by assuming it in that way. Yeah, I was actually listening to a podcast with Jordan Peterson, and he was talking about how basically the, the next kind of movement of audiobooks and things like that, like Audible and all of these mediums that are, are becoming more and more prevalent in today's society are what, what's going to move us forward. Because like, we're becoming so busy nowadays with everything, with like work and things like that, but we can listen to a podcast while we wash the dishes. And so Yeah, he like Dr. Peterson there, he makes like an excellent point. And he, it's like, he says, it's like, when you think about it, like Gutenberg invented the print, printing press, you know, Alexander Graham Bell, the telephone, and what's what's the major revolutions since? Like U.S. military with the internet, and then you know Wright brothers with an airplane, and whoever invented YouTube. <laughs> really, <laughs> seriously, like I mean, seriously, like once everything went online, that's it. Really changed the game. Mm. Now that I, uh, we're talking about kind of different mediums of different media, um, I wanted to ask you, as you said we've become so much of a, an extension of our phones and given platforms like Instagram, there's accounts like six buzz and things like that, that I first started with just random fight videos or like random uh, memes and things like that, but now have become so actually uh, entrenched with politics. Like now some people get their news only based on this account, like six buzz. They're like, Oh, I read this on six buzz. Like this is happening. Doug Ford is planning on doing this. Justin Trudeau is doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on people that, uh, in a way, solely get their media off of that? Like, or like Instagram accounts in general, yeah. bite-sized headline news. Yeah, part. yeah. Well, I, I think you do that at your own peril. I, we discussed earlier in this podcast not being, um, you know, being open. Actually, sorry, being open to exposing yourself to different points of view, like in terms of just listening to people. The same applies to your your newsfeed, right? It's very. I actually, when I was an undergraduate at University of Toronto, I took a course in uh, like youth politics and media. It was an excellent course um, at the Mississauga campus there. But uh, the professor talked about this concept of selective exposure, like selective um, consumption of media. So with Instagram or if you, if you align, if your political views align with BuzzFeed or the people that post regularly on BuzzFeed, as you said, Jesus, then you're only consuming that source of media and that's the only perspective you're getting and you're not benefiting from the diverse array of perspectives that are out there in the world. And I actually, it maybe it's a good time. I would highly recommend everyone get this book. I make no royalties off of it, but um, <laughs> Ray, it's Principles by, by Ray Dalio. I don't know if anyone's heard of, heard of Ray Dalio. Have you heard of him? 
Let's go, boys. Oh, oh beautiful, Sebastian. Hey. Have you read it yet, Sebastian? Is that the real question? I think I've gotten about a quarter of the way through, and then I, uh, I stopped reading. So why is that? Honestly, I don't have an excuse. I don't have a justification. <laughs> you just I got think... cut up with everything else. Hey, you're busy, man. There's no need for specifics. Yeah, let's say that. No, I think, you know, people grow up reading when they're kids like me. And then I guess I fell out of it and I'm trying to get back into it. But it's like starting the lawnmower right now. That's kind of the issue. Yeah, I, I mean, it's so is everyone here in second year university or what what year in undergraduate? Entering second now. Yeah. Yeah. Entering second year. Yes. OK. Yeah. So I mean, I wasn't reading that much when I was in second year of undergrad. I was just like goofing around with my buddies. You know, so I, I did in high school, like when I was in 11th and 12th grade, but like I stopped for like at least two, three years in, <laughs> in university and then started to get in the fourth year of university. So no, I shouldn't say that. I mean, like you, you got to work hard, especially in, in today's, you know, climate where everyone and their mother and father has an undergraduate degree, right? So, yeah, you know, I feel like you're going to stand out some way, like you got to find something that you're very passionate about, very interested in, and you're, you know, eager to learn about and um, research every day, basically, like, basically, like, that'll be your, your passion, because <laughs> it's, you're not, it's not worth going to work if, if you're not at least interested in it. Exactly. Um, now that we're, I think I will read this book now, actually. Yeah, I may just yeah, pick the, it up. The, sorry, just to go back on topic there. Yeah, the, he talks about, Ray talks about the concept of radical transparency within an organization, and that's one of, like, the key principles that his hedge fund Bridgewater Associates, and they've returned more capital for shareholders than, any hedge fund in history. Phenomenal, phenomenal story. He was basically broke living in a two bedroom apartment when he started it. And it became the most, uh, one of the most important private companies in the United States, managing billions and billions of dollars in institutional money for large pension funds and universities and various large institutional clients and phenomenal, you know, mind and very charitable individual. I think he donated a hundred million dollars to underprivileged, you know, underprivileged schools or underfunded schools in his home state in the United States. So it's very admirable um, what he's done. And it's definitely uh, one of the hero, one of my heroes, like I aspire to be that um, accomplished and down to earth. Hmm. Quite interesting. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know if this is, uh, this is somewhat related, but I feel like the more, accomplished one becomes the more down to earth they actually like become as well so like if you talk to someone that hasn't really accomplished much like they try to kind of boast themselves I mean, and make it seem i don't know I, I don't know maybe this is just my biased experience but yeah it seems that at least from my <laughs> from my perspective yeah i'll say it's i think it's like a it's a fish hook you go yeah. to a certain point and then eventually you get back to being like humble but i think as you grow you know richer or successful, you probably start getting a bit more of an ego. And then at a certain point, I'd say you more or less go back on it. But I, I think that I don't think you can generalize. I don't think yeah. you can. Yeah. Every, everybody's different. Everyone's has like a unique individual path. And to say that, you know, I know people that are extremely rich, extremely wealthy, but very down to earth. And I know people that are not down to earth at all, but, and, but they're still accomplished or something. So everyone's different than to the extent that you can align yourself with people that want the best for you and who are happy for, for you when you succeed in life. That's all you can really do as an individual is surround yourself with those people. 
and you'll you'll do fine. Trust me, you'll be you'll get plenty of accomplishments if you surround yourself with people that want the best for you. How would you say like surround yourself with like the right type of people? Like any advice that you would give to someone that wants to do that but doesn't really exactly know how? Well, I mean, sometimes it's obvious, right? Like you see people that you look like they're still in high school or they're like gossiping or like talking about people behind your back or it's just like high school drama, right? Yeah. I just like, you should just be phasing that out. It's completely meaningless. Like who, who likes who or like <laughs> if you're surrounding yourself with people that like that's what occupies their mind, I would, I would be wary. But if, if that's what occupies your mind too, like hang out with those people too. Like, if that's what you want to talk about, I'm not trying to be elitist or anything. You know, it's not entirely, it's not entirely clear to me that you're going to live a better life being a millionaire with five degrees and the CEO of a company versus like working at you know a local retail store, but you have an excellent family and you make ends meet. You know, it's it's not clear to me that the the former millionaire has a better life than the or modest living, but it's it's totally up to each individual. It's not, you know, societal norms to say like, this is what success looks like. Obviously there are images in popular culture of what success looks like, but it's, it's different for each individual. And I think that people should just be cognizant of that and acknowledge that when, when they're interacting with others. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to, I think shift gears a little bit. I know that we've been talking about kind of undergrad and things like that. Um, so I just wanted to move a little bit to postgraduate degrees. I know that you recently did an MBA during quarantine and you received your uh, degree in your PJs and you actually posted a, a picture about it on Instagram. So I just wanted to ask you, how was that like? Like the experiences of obviously first going to classes and things like that in person and then having to completely do a 180 being at home? Yeah, so they, they just switched actually virtually probably my last two weeks of my MBA. So I, it didn't really... Um, changed that much on my end on the the Schulich side the Osgood the Osgood side at York University that influenced me all the law school grades got put in as like pass fail because they didn't want to distinguish any students in this um yeah. like having to work from home or like they didn't know like because you could have like five laptops or they just didn't want to deal with the potential you know complaints about potential cheating or having like some lawyer write the whole test for you while you do it. Right. So they just made everything pass fail. Whereas Shulik was a little bit more capitalist and said, no, we're still going to rank order you. Um, so it didn't, it didn't influence me that much on the Shulik side, on the, on the Osgood side, but just like from a macro view going forward, I think that, you know, students like employees at companies, they're just going to have to deal with this until a vaccine is, is created and people are immunized from COVID-19 to the extent that you know we're still interacting virtually via via Zoom, I think that we're gonna have to find ways to connect with one another, and just exact doing exactly what you're doing, inviting people to you know Zoom like online virtual chats and Zoom, um, you know interviews or coffee chats, what have you. It's an excellent way to expand your network, and I've I've done this many times this this summer with lawyers at, at my firm. I work for Borden Landner Gervais LLP, where where Canada's oldest and largest law firm with offices in Vancouver, Calgary, Toronto, Ottawa, Montreal. And I, I think that's it. <laughs> but um, like over 300 lawyers in the Toronto office, over 700 coast to coast. And same, like, same thing, you got to do the virtual knock. It's not like you're seeing them in the office anymore. You got to send an email, say, hey, I'd love to talk to you for 15 minutes. Do you have time at such and such a date? Give them your availability to the extent you can and say, I'm available now, now, now. I'll send you a calendar invite and a Zoom link and nothing can go wrong. 
So like the worst, the worst thing that could happen is they don't respond to you, right? Yeah. So on that, at your job right now, we're just curious, one, what was the process of you getting to work there at such an old firm and such a distinguished firm? And two, what is kind of your day-to-day life like working there? Hmm. So I'm a, I'm a student right now. I'm, yeah. I was there the last summer. I was there like this summer, which is, it's my last week this summer before returning to my final year at Osgood. And then I'll be returning. I'm writing the bar and the solicitor exams in the spring. And then I'm returning to work at the firm BLG August of 2021 for 10 months to June, 2022. And then they're a full service practice with like various different groups so depending on which groups are hiring, what the business need is for lawyers in that specific group, if it aligns with what I want my practice to be like, then I'll stick on at that firm. And if not, I'll go to some other firm or do something else. I've got lots of backup options with the, the MBA degree, that's for sure. But to, to your question, Sebastian, um, in terms of what the process was, you need to get the four-year undergraduate degree. I needed to write the, the law school admissions test to get into Osgood. I was fortunate that the law school admission test went well for me and it was high enough such that I didn't have to write a GMAT to get an MBA because for most graduate schools, you have to write a GMAT. But I was fortunate that Schulich waived that requirement for me given the the LSAT score that I had. So I was able to do both programs and it would usually take five years, two years MBA, three years JD. But because I merged them, basically, I was able to do four years total to get both degrees. And in terms of being at that, to your point, being at such like a, I guess renowned or like large corporate firm. I wouldn't have been able to get it without the MBA because I was hired as a 1L and they usually don't, most of the Bay Street firms, they don't hire 1L students. They only hire 2L students because you just get the one summer and then you start articling. Whereas for the 1L students, you know, you got to pay them that summer, the second summer, and then the third summer. And law firms like on the Bay Street level, they lose money on, on students. They even lose money on first, second year associates. They, They can't justify the costs of, you know, their expenses in terms of like practice assistance and, you know, salary, billables, like administrative costs, not until their third year as an associate really at the Bay Street level can you write off a lot of that associate's time and make a profit for the firm. I know that there are many students in Schulich right now that are aspiring to become lawyers at some point in their lives. I just wanted to ask you if there's any kind of way specifically that you prepare to reach such a like high achieving mark in the LSAT. So yeah, I, I think they changed the, the format of the test this year, actually. All I did really was just on Amazon, I bought like the Kaplan prep book. It was like 2,100 pages. It was basically a phone book. I worked through it twice. And then I, I did like a bunch of time practice tests because you can buy like the practice tests for um, when I wrote it, it was like 11 bucks basically on Amazon and you can just like time yourself and write the marks. And I'm not that smart. Like I just got lucky really, to be honest with you, like the week, two weeks before I wrote the LSAT, probably I was scoring in like the high sixties, like low 70th percentile. And then I just like, I, I fluked out the day of the test, I guess. And I, I got a lot of right guesses and I ended up being at a high enough percentile to get into Osgood. So that was, that was good. And to Shulik without the GMAT for MBA. So you work at the um, BLG right now and you talk about, you know, doing things that match your own practice and whatever. Where do you want to go after this, you know, after your summer student positions, what is kind of your end goal? What do you want to do with your practice? Yeah. So um, to, to the extent I want to practice law, do you mean? Yeah. 
So I, I enjoy, um, like, I have a very, like, I have a range of interests in, in private law or civil law. It's all on the solicitor side, so I don't go to court or anything. It's just doing deals in your office, basically. Um, don't go to court, like don't argue in front of a judge. You're basically, you're basically like a business consultant or business advisor with like a legal lens or legal perspective, so to speak. I, I enjoy the, the corporate finance side. Uh, so basically we act for a bunch of large companies, be they public issuers on the Toronto Stock Exchange or various capital markets in the world or um, private companies, which are quite large. And we basically just help them do their financing. So if they have like, if they want to raise capital, they can, they have two options. You can issue common shares, you can raise it through an equity financing, or you can do it through debt and you can issue bonds. Um, the market for bonds, I think is a little bit saturated given the yield environment right now. I think uh, for corporate financings, you really need to raise it on the equity side because as I'm sure you know, if you have an equity stake in a business, you can participate in the upside potential or the appreciation in the, in the value of the business. Whereas if you're getting a bond from a business or a government, what have you, all the bond is, is a promise for them to pay you cash at some point in the future. And they're gonna pay you a little bit of extra cash for the luxury of using your money. But you have to understand, given the yield environment right now with interest rates so low that with interest rates so low and the government just printing cash to fund all these stimulus programs and all these governmental expenditures, you know, cash is not a risk-free asset. It's actually a very risky asset because your the value of your money depreciates by the rate of inflation every year, give or take. And when the government's printing money, billions and billions of dollars, and when they're funding, you know, these programs at a less than 200 basis point yield on government bonds, for federal bonds, for municipals, I think it's just over 200 basis points, or sorry, for provincials, just over 200 basis points. But the rate of inflation is exceeding the yield. So whatever the spread is, that's how much it costs you to hold cash. So if you're holding 100,000 and it's a 4% inflation rate, then it's gonna cost you 4,000 bucks per year to hold that $100,000. So it's not a risk-free asset holding cash, not in the least. Now that we're talking about kind of like, um where you kind of uh, see yourself. As yeah, sorry, I, sorry. I, th that was a long tangent <laughs> in corporate, in corporate finance. Um, from a legal perspective, like on the business side, all a business has to do is allocate capital. They can do it in, in one of four ways. They could pay it to shareholders through dividends. They could buy back their stock if they think it's undervalued. They can invest it in the business or they can acquire other businesses. Those are really the only things they can do. If they want to get money to buy new businesses or to invest it in the business, they raise capital in the equity markets. Um, if you practice corporate law, if you practice um, in securities and capital markets at a large law firm, such as BLG, a lot of your work will be spent issuing these types of securities for businesses, be they private placement or actual common share issuances, mm -hmm. like public issuances. And just a quick question because when I asked you about it, you said, you know, in terms of law, which kind of begs the question, what about the other side of things? What do you see in the future just outside of law or necessarily just in general? Sure. So I always tell a really funny story about, um, I'm sure you've heard of 
Warren Buffett, the CEO of Berkshire Hathaway, his partner in crime is named Charlie Munger. And he's also a, another person I, I admire. And there's a funny story when Warren Buffett first got Charlie Munger to work for Berkshire Hathaway as like the co-CEO, so to speak. He was practicing corporate law. And Warren Buffett said to Charlie Munger, uh, you know, law's a good, a good hobby, but you could do better. <laughs> and that, that's not to knock any of my, my colleagues that are lawyers, obviously. It's a, it's a tremendous profession. And I, I admire um, everyone that practices corporate law. I think it's a very difficult, like demanding um, profession. And to the extent that you, you're that dedicated to your clients, it, it says something a lot about your character in terms of being able to do that in a service industry. For me, like to manage a, a business, it would probably be like a holding company similar to the way Berkshire Hathaway is structured, whereby you can just, you know, raise capital because the cost of capital is so low right now, invest it in good dividend paying companies that pay good yields to their shareholders in terms of uh, distribution yields. And you can just live off the, you can live off the spread, pay the bank, the back bank, the money. And then banks love loading money because the whole business of a bank is to sell access to their balance sheet. So if they're selling you access and you keep um, contributing to their bottom line in a positive way and they're not having trouble collecting the loans from you, then you can build a pretty good business, I think, if you understand the, uh, the way, how to value stocks and how to value companies, which brings me to my second book. I don't know if you got this one too, Sebastian. The Intelligent Investor. I do not have Benjamin that Benjamin Graham, <laughs> forward, by, forward by Warren Buffett. Do you have this one? <laughs> he does not. I don't think so, but I'll get... I'll, I'm getting some of these books afterwards. Okay, so it's very <laughs> thick. It's about 700, 600 pages. But if, if you read this book, you will understand accounting and finance and you'll, you'll understand how to, how to value at least the book value of a business. But anyway, back to corporate law. So corporate finance, I enjoy. I enjoy commercial real estate property development. Again, it has to do with like investments and finance, right? Usually on like a big condo development, there's syndicates of investors that come in on the property in order to build it up. So I really enjoy commercial real estate in that respect. And then I also just enjoy like pub or private company law, like corporate commercial, which is basically similar to public company, but there's different ways in which they raise capital. As we've discussed, they can't go to a public capital market. A private company has to raise capital in different ways um, in order to finance their business. Like, like I just mentioned, like if yeah. I want to be a holding company, you got to go to the bank, you got to go to various lenders, which are not um, public investors or investors on public capital markets. So all these books that you're bringing up, I just have a question with it. Reading does help you kind of get a better sense of things and understand different topics. Do you just look at the intelligent investor? Do you just pick it up and you read it back to front? Do you take notes? What's, what, what's your advice for absorbing the most out of one of these books? It goes back to uh, our discussion about individuality earlier. It all depends, right? I know me personally, I'm fine just retaining the information, reading it back to front. I don't take notes. I don't bunny ear pages. I don't mark it up or anything like that. Some people, you know, they highlight it and the knowledge goes like up their arm through to their brain. <laughs> Some people do the bunny marks. Some people transcribe it. I know Bill Gates, he always writes in the margins everyone's different. It, it depends on your style of learning and it depends on um, how you absorb information. And you might not even be able to absorb information well by reading, I, such, as the, such as the way humans have evolved. I, I can't help it. I thought you mentioned, uh, I know that I was one of your uh, students when you were a TA uh, for the MGMT 1000 class. And I know that every week you would bring up 
a different book that we would be able to read that you recommended given different the different scenarios that we were listening to or maybe a different lesson that we were learning during the time. I just wanted to ask you uh, about your position as a TA currently in Schulich. Is this something that you consider uh, maybe taking the next step to becoming a prof full-time at some point or are you dead set on just continuing with your uh, practice at law? No, I, I love teaching. I, I would absolutely um, be open if Schulich were to ask me to be a like higher than a TA, like a professor one day to just teach like as a sessional, like part-time professor. I think I would have the qualifications for that with the JD and the MBA. If I wanted to teach um, at the law, at a law school, I think I would need more qualifications. Mm -hmm. I think most career academics in the legal field, they have SJDs. So they have like the undergrad, they got the law degree, they got the masters of law plus the doctor of law. So I would need to get an LLM, like a masters of law. And then I would, potentially need to get an SJD, like a PhD of law, unless I think now you might be able to have an LLM and work in like be a lawyer and teach. Like you could have to do the three basically, but um, we'll, we'll see. I'm, I'm the youngest man alive. I'm the youngest man you've ever met. I'm only 25 years old. So <laughs> I got plenty of time to think about that. Yeah. There's still time. There's still time. No rush to this. <laughs> But thank you for, for getting me to reflect on it in such an early yeah. age, in my, in my infancy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, see, I, I've honestly, I've witnessed kind of how you operate around the classroom and it will be interesting to see as right, like a next level, not just in a TA room, but just in a full on lecture, you know, talking to different students and things like that. Yeah, I think it'd be great. I mean, you got really lucky with uh, Graham. I know he's like one of the most respected, best professors at, at Schulich. He consistently is nominated for the, the teaching award and well, well deserved or deserve, deserves deservedly so because I, I think that from what I've heard from some my, uh, my colleagues that did Schulich like way back in the day, they said that it, the course is, has never been this good and that's and huge thanks to Graham. Gee. Now that we're talking about Graham, I know that one thing Graham does a lot is he travels a lot, uh, especially he did during, during our, Yo. <laughs> during our uh, while we were in, in school, he did travel. He did take a few weeks to travel for some uh, uh, business matters that he had to attend to. I don't know that someone else that travels a lot uh, is yourself. But yeah, I, uh, if you could just, I guess, just throw it out. What countries have you traveled to uh, over the past few years that you've See, I, I've been to Italy. I, I, you got it right at the beginning. You dug deep for that. I played baseball in uh, Havana, Cuba. I guess the junior national team there in Havana or in Cuba. So I don't know how you found that out. That was pretty crazy. That was a crazy trip, actually. I, I met some gold medal, Olympic gold medal winners that they, they beat the Team USA in the Olympics and un unbelievable wow. players. Um, some of the best, best baseball you'll, you'll see anywhere in the world. It's just unfortunate that they have a government that doesn't uh, – they, they've opened yeah. it up. They've opened it up recently that you can get uh, visas to play in the states and then come yeah. back in the winter to Cuba. But um, a lot of people have have risked their lives and, and drowned going from from Cuba to, to the states, and it's mm -hmm. it's a very sad um, situation. But not to get all gloomy, it's it's. I had a terrific trip. You know, the people of Cuba are extremely nice people, and they're very welcoming to to us. We had like a big barbecue in the community in the in the square after we played the tournament and we we like danced and they had music going and it was very hospital and it was great um 
it's it's remarkable to see how happy the people there are and just like enjoying life so it, it puts things into perspective i think when we get um I, I think like not to get all like too philosophical on everyone but I, I think that it's it speaks it speaks volumes when you just put perspective on it and uh I was going to bring up another book, but I won't. I'll, I'll spare us. We have like six minutes left. I'll let you finish off the podcast in whatever way you see fit. Oh, by all means, if you'd like to show it and then move on from there, if you'd like. Uh, we can move on. It's okay. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll digress. Two, two's good. You got, you got Ray Dalio and you got um, Benjamin Graham, Intelligent Investor. You can email me after. Sean Moxon, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's S-E-A-N-M-O-X-O-N. <laughs> M-O-X-O-N, people. Okay. Yes. <laughs> don't put it in the description or something yes we will don't worry about it yeah, i noticed yeah what you're saying about havana i feel the same way because you know i'm romanian and whenever i go back home i see kind of what's going on there where my family grew up where my family's living there it's like you know it, it puts things into perspective where you look at things and you're like you know you don't need this that and the third to be happy and it's like i think it's always nice to get that extra bit of perspective from traveling places Mm-hmm. for sure i'd say so too i mean i'm from, I'm from ecuador myself and uh, i can totally relate to that growing up in a different kind of environment till i was like 12 and then coming here sometimes it's hard to put things into perspective but once you go back there and you experience the joy of having more but with less at the same time is is quite beautiful i would say hmm. how how often you cry for the fourth uh, time on the podcast <laughs> no no <laughs> i uh <laughs> I went in 2017. Uh, that was my first time going back after six years of not being able to go back. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was insane because my brother was born here. So going back with a new member of the family and everyone was just like so welcoming and do parties and just barbecues. And obviously the pandemic wasn't going on by then. So I could kind of go around uh, visiting old school friends that I hadn't seen. And, and yeah, so it was quite interesting. Yeah. Right on. Mm-hmm. So I guess... We can wrap it up. And I just want to ask you one question in the sense that, you know, you've TA at Schulich and you've had different career experiences. You're going in law right now and all that. So we just want to ask what advice would you give to, you give, you know, a lot of book recommendations too. What advice would you give to students right now in terms of like balancing school, work, relationships, stuff like that, while still doing what they want to do and like getting to their goals? Really, it's a really tough question. Um, I think at, at such a young age, you shouldn't let your personal life suffer as a result of work and, and school. And what, what I mean by that is that, you know, you should be happy and excited to, to get up in the morning, to, to work on what you're doing, to, to study, you know, what you're studying, and to hang out with who you want to hang out with. If you're getting up in the morning and you know you're you're dreading doing something like you're dreading doing that assignment or you're you're dreading like going to meet up with you know this group of people, I, I think you need to take a step back and reflect as to you know what your actual goals are. The reason you might be dreading that assignment is because you know you're not happy in this in this particular program or that course of study is not what you're particularly interested in. It's, it's like been thrust upon you or you know, advised upon you by somebody else that this is what you should be studying. But you should really, at this age, study what interests you. Um, I know at the postgraduate level, they don't really care what your undergrad degree was, provided you got like good marks, throw in a couple extracurriculars, just like you can, 
you could be like, especially in the legal field, you could be equally as good in the legal field, having a undergrad degree in arts and drama or mathematics or science or engineering or English or political science. Like it really doesn't matter like what you studied at the undergrad level, everyone ends up in like a different career path um, versus what you set out at the undergrad level or very, most people, I shouldn't say everybody, but the vast majority of people probably do end up somewhere else with something else in mind after they finish their undergrad degree. So to the extent when you're in undergrad, you can just work on getting good analytical skills, getting good written and oral communication skills. That's the biggest problem I saw with undergrad work was the written, the written work was subpar. And the only way you're gonna get better at writing is if you read how good writers write. So you need to write, read um, books books by authors because they're they're edited they're checked for grammar and you can see how you should write be writing right so to the extent you can develop your critical thinking skills your analytical skills your social skills like having friends having a good social life is extremely important that'll take you far in your careers you need to be able to interact well with your colleagues and communicate well so learn to read and write and you'll be plenty fine doesn't matter what you're studying at the undergrad level Later on, it does. Big wow. disclaimer, big, big asterisk there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it matters to the extent you need to be interested in it. That's what I should say. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I, I apologize because I guess that was a, a question out of left field, a bit heavy, but that was a beautiful response. So, yeah, thank you very much. <laughs> I'm going to listen to this after maybe, so uh, I hope it made sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, it definitely did, uh, at least from our perspective. And uh, it's some good food for thought. So not only the people listening to, but also to ourselves that, so, you know, we we're doing this and sometimes like it's kind of reflect upon your life decisions, you know, and see where you're headed, even in the undergraduate level. Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, we're, we're lucky that we have the luxury to do that. There's a lot of people in the world that can only dream of, you know, getting an undergraduate degree from the Schulich School of Business. Right. So to the extent we can acknowledge that, you know, living in Canada, we're so fortunate to be able to have these problems. Like, what should I study? Yeah, what? <laughs> right? yeah. A vast majority of people in the vast majority of human history have not had that luxury. So I think we need to consider ourselves extremely fortunate to be, to be living in the times that we're living. It's not perfect. It can always use improvement, but you know, we're here, we're in it together. So I, I hope that we can, um, you know, move forward well. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Sean Moxon for being a part of today's podcast. Number 10. Very definitely number 10, the big one Very insightful and very reflective. Uh, so from all of us here at Business Casual, we wish you a very good day. Take care. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was great. Appreciate it.